But and that's a good idea. But if you understand what Heiser and Walton are trying to do, and and some of the discussion that Heiser has, and 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 saying, you know, uh, some of the fathers did not get the Old Testament correct because they didn't understand the ancient Near Eastern background. He wants to, my student wants to, to do a PhD so he can compare the actual Christian religion, the Orthodox academic version, and compare it with the Buddhist and compare it with the Hindu and the Muslim. And in that comparison, um, I'll, I'll quote Bill Arnold, a Naked Bible Conference, the first one in Dallas I went to, Bill Arnold from Asbury Seminary. Uh, did a talk on comparative uh, religions uh, in the ancient Near East. He said, what you find out is these ancient religions will agree on so many things, like the Israelite religion, your Old Testament, will agree with, with the Mesopotamian or will agree with, you know, um, the Ugaritic or whatever. And you'll follow that, and then you'll understand your Old Testament a whole lot better because you see that they say the same things. They agree. But then all of a sudden, you're going to hit something where the Bible, the Old Testament, is going to say something resoundingly different. He says, when you hit that moment, then you see the difference. And so, um, for me, theologically, that's what I'd like to do. But it's very difficult to get people to actually find out what they truly are supposed to be believing, because they believe what they were told by their mother, their parents, their tradition, their culture by their pastor, their priest, whatever, um, by what Facebook tells them, you know, the fake news in America, you know, what's really going on with the virus? Is it a pandemic or um, is it, you know, is it government conspiracy theory? You know, the, the Zachariah, your governor, and what's going on in Houston right now and the overload in the ICU and your lieutenant governor, you know, who's right? Are the doctors right? Or is your lieutenant governor right? You know, is the virus not, it's not a big deal, or is it a big deal? You have conflicting statements, you mm-hmm. know, of people saying that on one side you have the governor, and he's like, I should not have reopened. I reopened too early. And the lieutenant governor, well, it's no big deal, you know. It's just, you know, it's all media. They're making up fake, you know. Who do you believe? Well, who do you believe when it comes to religions? And so I find it interesting to compare the religions myself. Mm-hmm. And so I've gone beyond the evangelical, you know, you got to preach because they're all going to burn in hell, to interestingly to have a dialogue saying, what does your religion actually really teach? What does my religion actually really teach? Compare them, and then where's the differences, and why are those things different? You know, and you, you, I just mentioned the earthquake. If you're not familiar with Nepal history, in 2015, they had a major earthquake followed by a major aftershock. Uh, which was uh, the uh, center point of that was right there where my wife's village is. And again, we had just not too long ago, uh, on the five-year anniversary of that 7.3 aftershock, on the same day, five years later, they had another 4.9 aftershock Mm. on the same day Mm. in the English calendar. And it's crazy, you know. Five year happy anniversary, you know. Just just about midnight, eleven fifty something in the night, and man, we got nailed. And we were at the epicenter, four point nine. It was like two miles away, the epicenter. I mean, it was unreal. And I was I was there, you know, wow. you know. But the earthquake happened, 
What was the response by the Hindus? What was the response by the Buddhists? What was the response by the Muslims? I had an argument down in, in South India. I was in uh, Odisha, Orissa. It used to be called. Now they're, they're changing all their names, trying to get away from British names to their ancient language names. But Odisha, uh, out on the uh, uh, Indian Ocean, uh, near the Indian Ocean. And I, I ran into a Muslim, and he's asking me these questions. But he said, you know what it is that's strange about you Christians? And this is before the earthquake, and this is in India. He said, whenever there's a crisis, because Odisha had a crisis. Um, I don't know if you know the Austri Australian uh, missionary Graham Stain that was there, and the Hindus in India first realized that he was evangelizing them. Because all the Christians come and do social work, and they were fine with that. But they realized with Graham Stain back in the 1990s, late 1990s, that he came to evangelize them. And when they did, they surrounded him and his boys that were asleep in the car. And they surrounded it and burned the car and killed him. Mm. Okay. Not long after that, they got hit with a cyclone. Um, is what they call them over here, cyclones. You guys call them hurricanes. Uh, I guess they're trying to be politically correct. It's not her, it's cyclone. Anyway, um, cyclone. And um, the Hindus in the Indian parliament said this is an act of the Christian God on our nation because we killed that man. And he repented on behalf of the uh, Indian government and said, we did wrong by killing that man. And now their God has come and, and brought judgment on us. But what happened was with these crises is they know that who's the first person to show up when there's a crisis? The Christians. But who's the last one to leave? The Christians. So there's something different about Christianity that wants to give to people that that, that wants to come into a caste system and says, because your DNA is this, okay? The, again, are you familiar with the, uh, the recent news in Nepal? Um, a girl, the Facebook, a girl has her boyfriend on Facebook, okay? In Nepal, they still arrange marriages, and they can arrange it as early as birth. I mean, two fathers can say, you know, this, my son is going to marry your daughter. And so this girl from high caste is, is messaging on Facebook to her Dalit low caste boyfriend saying, my father is getting ready to marry me. And marriages don't take forever. Mm. They can be really quick. My father is getting ready to marry me to this boy I don't want to marry. So can you please come and try to convince my father otherwise? So he got... 14 of his friends, and they strolled over there to, to try to convince her father that I love your daughter, she loves me, can we not marry each other? They beat them and tied them up through the river. Six of them died. That boy and five of his friends are dead because you don't marry another caste, and we don't touch the low caste. And they're dead. So why do Christians want to come to Nepal? Because of the injustice. The injustice, because they see this this terrible situation and it's not being addressed, and you know there's something wrong with the system, and so we think that we have the answer, and we're not. You know, the history of Christianity is bad. I guess you. I don't know if you've read uh, Zechariah. Can get you the, the David Bentley Hart book on atheist delusions, where he talks about uh, the history of Christianity. It's not that great, but when you actually look into the history of Christianity, 
I argue in my paper, Body Justice, that Christianity, along with David Bentley Hart, is the best human expression of justice that has ever been in history, when it gets it right. When Christians are embodying the justice of God, as Jesus calls us to, we are the greatest example of humanity, of justice that, that has ever been. And so um, we're not necessarily just trying to save people from hell, that they're going to die and they're going to burn in hell for eternity. We're trying to save humanity from itself, from self-destructing, because we believe that we have the kingdom of God. When it rules you, then you will you will be just. You will love each other. You will do the right things. So it's not salvation from hell that's coming. It's salvation from hell that's now that we're 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 killing each other. We're killing ourselves during this lockdown. We've been locked down since March twenty something. I can't remember what date exactly. Twenty third, twenty fifth. During this lockdown, twelve hundred Nepali people. And this is old statistics. This is about two three weeks old statistics. So I know it's worse. About twelve hundred Nepalis have killed themselves. You know, they sent their son overseas. Their son went overseas. They spent a buku money taking loans to pay the people that would get their son a job in Korea. And their son's been in Korea, and he's been sending money home. And so they took loans to buy land and to build a house or to build a business or whatever, and they're taking loans from the bank. And their son's been sending money from Korea, and they're paying off those loans, and they're trying to do a business or trying to have a house or something. And then all of a sudden the pandemic comes and all of a sudden their son is no longer working. He got laid off and now he's going to have to come back home and they have all these loans. And then they, 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 don't, they don't have any food. Where are we going to get food? What are we going to do? And so because of the honor shame, if you're familiar with uh, David De Silva's honor shame stuff, because of honor shame, um, they would rather kill themselves than face the shame, public shame of not being able to put food on the table for their families. And so... 1,200 people have, have committed suicide because, the, you know, the pandemic, the virus, because not because they have it, but because the, the, the lack of jobs, because the lack of future, you know, my students, will I graduate now because our college is shut down? Am I going to graduate? And I had plans to go do this and I had plans to go do that. Yeah. There are many people that got their jobs canceled, they, that they were going to do a degree in America, that had plans to go to America. And because of the virus, it's all been shut down in their whole future. And they spent everything they had to get this opportunity because you have to, it's again, go back to David De Silva, honor, shame. You have to like pay someone to help you to get, you know, this is not Christians. This is this is this patronage thing where you pay someone and you have to give them some kind of bribe or some kind of reason to help you. And then you take out loans to pay them and then they they make the connections and then you get to take the exam and then you get the job and the visa to go overseas and then it's all been canceled. Man. Because of the virus. And all that money's gone. And now you have nothing and you have a debt to the bank. And whatever you did have, they'll take. And it's just a mess. And so it's it's a sad situation. So, yeah, it, it's just very bad. So when you're talking about why Christians, because uh, not only does humanity need to be saved from hell down the road, but humanity needs to be saved from itself right now because we don't love each other, uh, because we don't treat each other right. And the caste system, as bad as it is, at least they can blame it on that. But what about America, the whole race thing, you know, all the hate, all the things going on, you know? Yeah. 
it's the same kind of dynamics. They're protesting in the streets over here because the government's locked them down, mm-hmm. open up because we need jobs. But look at Houston. They opened up, and now what's going on? So I don't know, you know? That's so, right. That's the hell. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, stay home and you don't get sick. But there is no virus, right? You know, it's all it's all conspiracy theory. It's, it's just like the flu. 20,000 people in America die a year of the flu. You know, but it's just like the flu, you know, 127,000 die. Oh, yeah. If you have the virus and you die of a car accident, they put it down. The no, they don't. 38,000 people die a year from car accidents in a couple of a few months time from what, March, whenever they started February, March or whatever till June, you have 127,000 deaths. Oh, it's no big deal. You know, it's nothing, you know. And the sad part about it is the church is the main message for this. The church is the ones that are saying this is no big deal. The church in America is telling people. And I'm doing a lot of studies in the Old Testament. And if you look at the prophets, they all are crying out against the leadership, the priest and the kings, the government, because they didn't see to the poor people. They They didn't practice justice. Okay. So that's that's what they they didn't do that. And so interestingly, you have three exiles in the Old Testament in the Babylonian exile when they exiled the southern kingdom in three shifts. But who gets taken? Daniel. Why? Because he's one of the best. Who gets taken? They take the leadership. They take the top. They take the best people and they take them from Israel, from Judah, and they take them over the Babylon. They take the best. Do they take the poor people? No. They don't take the poor. They take the leadership. They take the best. And three times they take the government. Okay? And the poor people don't get to go to Babylon. They're stuck in Judah. But they're poor and they need someone to see to them. But no one's seeing to them. No one's helping them. Right. Okay? So the leadership goes and they're off for 70 years and they're writing the Bible and they're doing, you know, they're putting the Bible together and doing all the stuff they do to prepare to come back. But the poor people. They don't, no one's seeing to them. No one's doing anything for them. And they have to fend for themselves and they have to turn to the other people, the Samaritans, what becomes the Samaritans or whoever's there, the surrounding nations and, and whatever. They have to try to turn to them and they have to try to make do and get by because no one's seeing to the least. The ones that Jesus said, if you see the least, you're seeing to me. No one's seeing them because that's not part of the gospel. That's not you, you know, that's just 70 years here. You've got to talk about hell, you know. So, when you talk about Christianity, if you're going to answer it for George from an evangelical perspective, they're going to burn in hell for eternity. What are you going to answer it from a little different perspective of theology? Is you know using someone from higher church like the Orthodox with David Bentley Hart? You know, the Christians when they're doing Christ are saving people from themselves. Jesus, I believe, it's argued throughout tradition, throughout the scriptures and the writings of Christianity. Jesus is what it means to be God, but he's also what it means to be a human. He's the greatest example of what it means to be human, what Adam should have been, but Adam is not, was not. And so it's, it's, it's about that. You know, I, I feel sad for Gandhi because he went to a church in South Africa, and because of his color, he wasn't allowed in the door, and, and he turned away from Christianity. He, he enjoyed his teachings, but he turned away from the church because the church in South Africa looked at his color and said, no, you can't come in the door, you know, because of his color. You know, so the church has, yes, done terrible things because we're human, but that's not what it means to be Christ. So 
yeah, we don't want to bring another failed religion. We don't want to bring another failed humanity to Nepal, but we want to teach them a greater humanity, what it means to be human as God designed it in the original beginning, what he wanted us to be. And Adam failed at that, and all of us have failed, and Heiser's three rebellions have failed. Um, but what, what Christ offers is a picture of what humanity was always meant to be, is a humanity that gives itself away yeah, so that and, others can live. Yeah, and that, and that touches on the paper that, you, that both of you wrote together, right? Embodied Justice? Yeah, it's, it's all Zechariah's fault. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just like uh, tear up this bit here. <laughs> it's all his fault. Um, he wanted me. I, I told him I have to do a paper, and so I was like, "What like, do you okay. want to do? What do you want to do? You know, I'm like, what do you got? What resources do you have? You know, I don't have a, a ton of money, so I got to, you know, what resources do you have so I can write a paper? You know, what yeah, what, what sources are out? They wanted you to do like, what did they want you to do exactly? <laughs> it was so, like. Either ethics or mission, something or other. Yeah, there's they, the subject matter was, I was confined to two subject matters. They're, they're having like 12 papers presented, and then they're going to uh, publish them together. And the first six was on integral mission, which is what I just argued a little bit. Integral mission is not just passing out Bibles and tracts and preaching Jesus so you don't go to hell. Integral mission is... Also doing the social work, also doing the gospel in that sense. So it's it's Protestants waking up to what Catholics, you know, <laughs> Jews can talk about that. But anyway, <laughs> what Catholics always preach about the gospel, it's more than just, you know, tracts and Bibles. You know, it's more than just an altar call and 30 seconds you cry and everything's over. You know, it's more than that. Okay. So it's integral mission. So they they had six papers presented on that idea. And then they wanted the next six to be on, on uh, ethics. And so I wanted to combine the two. And so Zachariah had one of his, you know, crazy ideas about, well, we could do this, 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 this. And so we started in that area. And I was like, because he's got the, he's got the resources. So if I'm going to do a study, I need the resources from him. And so, and then he sent me something from Michael Gorman. Um, Michael Gorman, if you don't know him, he he wrote a trilogy. And he didn't start out as a trilogy, but he wrote this trilogy uh, on the idea of justification theosis and what what does it truly mean and his third one tells it all the title of the third book becoming the gospel becoming the gospel so as you can get his trilogy on cruciformity and and theosis and becoming the gospel but but he zachariah had in zotero he he had this quote from from gorman and he's like have you seen this and of course i've read gorman i use gorman in my uh, master's thesis but i i was trying to, you know, figure out what to do and all these avenues of where we could go with the resources. And I saw that um, uh, quote from Gorman on what justification is. So I don't know how many evangelicals, what they think about justification. But Zachariah and I have been playing around with this. And because of that, we've been getting into some of the scholarship that Juice likes, like Peter, uh, Barber, you know, Kincaid. So they have a new book out. Um, and so uh, on Paul uh, as a Jew and rethinking uh, justification. And what does it mean? Out that book. <laughs> That's a great book. Yeah. So, you know, and of course, um, the whole idea in, in Paul, I, I did my master's in Paul because they told me they wanted me to do Paul. But I found out that nobody wants me to teach, Nepal, uh, teach Paul in Nepal here because they want to teach New Testament. 
And so my struggle my whole life has been whenever I try to explain the Bible and the New Testament, I, I run into the same problem every time. Nobody knows the Old Testament, so they have no idea what the New Testament says. Mm-hmm. They think they know what the New Testament says, but they haven't read the Old Testament, don't understand the Old Testament. Therefore, because the New Testament quotes the Old Testament all the time, they have no idea what the New Testament is talking about. So um, about 40 years ago, on Pauline scholarship, E.P. Sanders wrote a book on Palestinian Judaism that blew the world away. Nobody has done anything in the last 40 years more than he has. And so he wrote a book, and it just blew everybody away. It's like, whoa. And they're still arguing about it. So it's the Pal- new perspective. Palestinian Judaism, you said? Yeah. What? So what, what, did, what did you It's an oxymoron here in the West. <laughs> okay. So it caused a stir, and, they, and a whole new perspective on Paul has been uh, uh, going on because of it for the last 40 years. But no one has written another book that 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 comes to that level of changing the dialogue or framing the dialogue or or making people rethink justification until uh, James M. G. Barclay wrote Paul and the Gift, uh, and his early chapters uh, really just basically take David De Silva's research on Seneca and just regurgitates it. So he just really copies David De Silva's work on honor and shame on on Seneca. And he just basically writes a chapter two on that to set the set the set the uh, conversation up, and then he goes through Pauline scholarship. And his book is the next book in the uh, after forty years to make this huge change and try to argue on what does justification actually mean, what does grace actually mean, and now everybody's retalking about it and they're reframing all their things based on what Barclay wrote. Okay, so he's his book in Pauline scholarship, and so. What is justification? So I argue in an embodied justice, what is justification? And I use Gorman's trilogy as a launching pad um, to, to explain to the Nepali people what integral mission is and why it's important and what ethics is and how they're bridged together by this process of justification that is not just something that happened to you 35 years ago when you said a 30-second prayer and cried a few tears. But justification is ongoing. You know, it's still happening, Okay. And it's not just N.T. Wright's version of justification, where there's a justification back then and a justification that's coming. Uh, what Zachariah and I have been kicking around is that justification is a process that continues throughout your entire life. I think it's Gorman. I can't remember who, but maybe it's Gorman. Uh, oh. If you type a document uh, on your computer in Microsoft Word, okay, then everything you type, on the left side is straight. It's justified. It's called left justification, unless you hit the center button or you hit right justification. But if you if you hit justify the justify button, it 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 straightens the text all the way across. The text is straight on both the left and the right sides margins, and it's entire justification. So justification is not just justifying you. Uh, when you get saved, and it's not just justifying you at the end, it's a justification that happens throughout your whole life. God is constantly justifying me. You know, I'm glad that we did this at four o'clock in the morning, which is now six forty-six. But I'm glad <laughs> we did this at four o'clock in the morning because my wife is still asleep. Otherwise, she could come and tell you that I still need to be justified. She has lots of stories telling you why I'm still need to be saved. You know, Paul said, "I was saved. I'm being saved, and I will be saved." So my wife has lots of stories to tell you where I'm not saved yet, that I still need to be saved. So you know, these are great that we can do these uh, recordings whenever my wife is not up yet to, to, to tell stories about how this, this guy needs to be justified because he's still not straight. He ain't got it right, you know.
So I'm still being justified. I'm still being saved. It's not just future that I'm going to be justified. It's not just past I was justified because what Jesus did on the cross. It's a constant process of day by day surrendering and emptying oneself to be able to participate. And that's what Gorman uh, argues the participation perspective of Paul, uh, participation into what Christ did. And as we participate, Christ emptied himself like no one ever emptied himself, so he could be the most full of the Holy Spirit like no one else. Because he emptied himself, therefore he had most, you know, more room of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, that emptying causes like breathing. Okay, think of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Okay, when God took the Adama, the, the ground, the earth, Adama, and he breathed into the Adama. And that became Adam, okay? And Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 15, I believe, around verse 45. You know, that Adam received the breath of God, okay? But Christ is a life-giving spirit. When you breathe and you take in the breath of God, you breathe it back out in reciprocation. And that's what De Silva argues from Seneca. It's justification is reciprocal. We receive the gift, the breath of the Holy Spirit. We become life. We're just a piece of clay. We're just dirt. We're just dust. From dust we came, from dust we'll return. We're just dust. But we take in the breath, the life of God. But then, as Billy Graham argues, we breathe it out. We breathe in and we breathe out. It's reciprocating. We receive only to give again, and we receive and only to give again, and we receive to give again. And so we receive life, but we give life. You know, that's uh, Romans 5, 12. Everyone argues in Augustine, you know, this idea that sin brought death. But then we give life. We, we, we become parents. We have children. And we take all of our experience and knowledge and everything that we've learned, and we invest in our children. The most expensive thing that you will ever have in this life is a child. A child is the most expensive thing that you'll ever have. More than a house, more than anything else that you'll spend time and money, a child is the most expensive thing. And so we're going to die. So we give our life to our children so they can continue on. And then they have grandchildren. And then they have great-grandchildren. And so it's this Mm. process of receiving and giving. And so justification is is this idea of receiving the breath, the life of God, but then giving it back to God. So Christ came in the incarnation, and God gave Christ to the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But Jesus on the cross gives his life back to the Father. Father, to you I commend my spirit. I give myself back to you. It's a gift. God gave the world a gift, and then Jesus gave back to God And then what's the response? The Holy Spirit is given to the church. And what's the response? The church is to give that spirit to Nepal, to give it to somebody else, to give this life, the life that God wants. So it's this constant giving. And as we give, then God gives back. And we keep giving and get back and keep giving. And you can read De Silva's work on that. Or he's he's on YouTube. You can YouTube De Silva. And he's got the whole idea of, of, uh, I don't know if, well, they can't, the audience can't see it, but I have this thing from Maximus Confessor as my avatar, where it's it's the Trinity, and the Father gives to the Son, and the Son gives back to the Father, and through that, then the Holy Spirit is given, and so perichoresis. And so the idea in the, in the Seneca's world was the idea of the three goddesses, the charisis, that these three goddesses, uh, one 
uh, the gods, she gives, goddess gives to another goddess, and then that goddess gives to a third goddess, and the third god goddess gives to the first, and it just keeps reciprocating in the dance. A beautiful dance, which grew, uh, Juice would understand, and Zechariah, the martial artist, you understand these <laughs> katras and these dances you do and everything, but it's this, it's this wonderful choreographed thing like music. You know, It's just this perfect thing where you have this rhythm and dance, and it's constantly one giving to the other, but always receiving because someone else is giving, and it's constantly a giving and receiving relationship, and the dance is never broken until someone stops giving. Once someone stops giving, then, then the dance is broken. And so I used all of that in my paper on embodied justice to explain justification and explain integral mission. It's not just about saving someone from hell in the future down the road, but it's about now, saving now. Yeah. And then ethics is about living that justice, bringing justice to everyone. We are ministers of reconciliation, Paul says. So we have been reconciled so that we can go out and reconcile others. We have received life so that we can give it. God gives us life. We have children. We invest in them. We give life back to the world, and we just keep reciprocating. Yeah, and I will point out that a lot of your material can be found on uh, divinecouncil.org, was it? Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the friend um, through Zachariah met Terrence, and uh, he has that. Uh, right now, Terrence is on a different project, so he's not so big and high on his list anymore. He has a wonderful project uh, that he's doing personally, and I really appreciate what he's doing, and I really appreciate what he's done at divinecouncil.org. But yeah, you can find me there, divinecouncil.org, uh, backslash Theo, um, T-H-E-O. And uh, um, there, uh, yeah, I, I do uh, keep, that's my only online presence because... Um, uh, you know, again, it's not necessarily, I was told by a Christian lawyer here, the best thing to do is get off social media. Hmm. Um, because, um, I know, I don't think I can get a visa to India. Um, a lot of my friends who are on Facebook, uh, would try to go back to India after their first trip and they couldn't, the Indian government checks it. A friend of mine married the guy I first went to India with. He married an Indian. And American citizens get 10-year visas, tourist visas to India. You know, you just... I don't know what it is now, but it used to be like $160. You get a 10-year tourist visa. You can come in and out of India for 10 years. Um, he married an Indian. She's now a United States citizen, but she has rights to go to India because she's you know, Indian blood. But he can only get a six-month visa. So they, they, they're, they're trying to lessen his presence in India. They're, they're trying to hold him off. You know, and he, by all rights, should get a... 10-year tourist visa if anybody because he's married but because he's a christian he's on facebook they see that they've limited him down to only giving him six months so um india is really a terrible they're trying to find out every way the government called in and just basically said all old money is expired you have to get new money so they wanted to find out where all the money's coming from and churches have a terrible time because if they bring money in from the from foreigners from the west from christians and build the church or anything the government wants to know where that money come from how did you get that money how did you buy this building and they want to tax it they want to do fees uh, i was told by a guy from the uk here many people have left india and come to nepal because the indians have made it almost impossible through all these fees uh, for christians to operate anymore yeah. with giving down um, global missions is no longer a big emphasis for America or for the West. Now with the pandemic, most people 
Uh, most people I talk to in America, you know, they have, we have floods, we have hurricanes, we have, you know, all these problems. And so they're focused on American problems, habitat for humanity, kind of, you know, disaster relief, the Samaritan's purse, all these things going on to help Americans, Americans helping Americans. So global missions is not really big on people's mindset anymore. Mm, and so, man. you know, they don't look out, you know, and, and in America, you know, Oh, we got to have online church. So we have to buy all this equipment and we spend all this equipment to have online church. But then, you know, we don't think about the cost of a cup of coffee in America, you know, and then what that can do in a, in a third world setting to, to help the gospel. Hmm. You know, that same money could do so much more in, in a different setting. So, so global right. missions are not too, too big on people's radars anymore. Most people are self-focused. Again, we're back to the selfish nature. Most Christians have gotten selfish. We haven't got into the giving away part. Um, we're more into me, um, and that's just human nature. And so it's, it's, it's made it very difficult. So churches are not able to send as much money as they used to, and then the Indian government is, is clobbering it with fees. Uh, they say, well, we'll just make money off you guys. <laughs> we'll, take, we'll take the money. So, and there's been bad examples. You mentioned the prosperity gospel earlier. There's gospel for Asia that, that used to go into all the mission conferences. And I don't know how true it is. It's, it's kind of close to Zachariah's area there in Texas somewhere. But um, their founder, um, he bought enough land in India that it's, the government wants it for an airport. It's that huge. It's large enough for an airport. And he started so many businesses. And so he's prospered. But the Indian government says, wow, if Christians can make that much money out of the West, we need to get a hold of that money. So they mean, we'll tax it. So instead of, you know, his, his plan was for $100, you could support a month, you could support a pastor in a church for five years, and that church becomes independent. Uh, it's questionable if that's, you know, that I don't know the ethics behind it. And I haven't done all the proper research, but it's been questioned by many on the Internet whether this guy took advantage and the Indian government would like to know, but he's in, he's in problem with America and with Canada for the funds he brought over and what he's done with those funds uh -oh. because he's prospered mm. and I'm sure he's planted some churches, but it seems like he used the money to make lots of money. So, um, it, it's, it's, it's raised a lot of doubt and I can't judge it. And I hate to bring out names like that, but that's just an example right now of, of Christians had to have a bad, reputation over here because people are like uh it looks like to me that you've done well and you made it a business so i don't know what he's done i can't judge it but it's an example where the uh, secular governments and communities over here look at something like that and say you know i thought christians helped people and it looks like you helped yourself yeah. so i don't know i can't judge the integrity of it so that's why i wanted to write the the this paper to to bridge the gap between integral missions and ethics and saying that, yeah, if you're going to prosper, but you should help others prosper. You know, it should go. It should not be something that prospers you, but you're prosper. You're blessed to be a blessing. Right. So I wrote the, the paper for that that purpose, that, that when you're justified, then you become an agent of God's justification that you justify others. Yeah. So it's, it's a very well-written paper. Um, incredibly... It's it's worded the way that I like things worded. <laughs> it's a very, it's a it's a very it's a very well done paper. Um, I uh, I will be sharing it with my uh, with my colleagues here. <laughs> yeah, um, well, you know, maybe it's a future podcast to go into the more whatever they. I don't right. know if it's worth it, but 
Um, it's just, yeah, it's just something that most Christians don't look at because mm. we were taught. I think it was Billy Sunday um, that back in the day, uh, people took a long time to get saved. And Billy Sunday turned it into a, a two-minute altar call or whatever. And people that used to take a long time to make this decision, a long time to surrender, he was able to, uh, where most people are getting a handful of people saved, he was able to start getting hundreds saved. And, of course, Billy Graham was getting millions of people saved. And, unfortunately, I, there's nothing wrong with Billy Graham as far as I know. But uh, out of all those millions that got saved, only like 3% end up in a church, Yeah, sadly. And yeah. but three percent of Billy Graham's millions is a lot. So, but yeah. anyway, so you know, I don't want to disdain <laughs> him, but the the theology behind it, you know, this thirty second altar call, and then it doesn't end up working, you know. And and there, there's a lot of things in the church, you know. I mean, I combat uh, the cults. I combat the other religions per se. I don't like to say combat really. What the cults I want to combat because they're they're not preaching Jesus properly. But maybe the other religions I don't combat. I want to converse with them. I want to compare notes. Yeah. Say, okay, what does your religion teach? What is ours? And here's the same things about them. You have 330 million gods. Well, let me show you the divine council, you know, and there are a lot of gods, but are they, are they taking you where you're supposed to go? Are they, are they providing justice? Are you actually getting what, you know, should come of it? So I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, take yep. the divine council and, and compare it. But then you have other things in the church too, like the reformed and things and other things in your you they have a lot of good stuff, but at the same time you want to ask some questions about some of their things and saying, Is this really what the Bible is saying? Yeah. You know, and they're saying justification is this, and I'm like, is it really that? You know? Um, is it really, yeah, uh, you know, this what you're saying it is? And is it larger? Is it bigger? You know, that's what a lot of people don't like what I say about justification because they like think I'm attacking the gospel. I'm saying, I just don't think your gospel is as big as God is. I think your gospel has gotten small. And I think your gospel should be much larger and, and, and encompass much more of a person's life than the 30-second prayer, you know, 35 years ago. I think the gospel is, is something huge and something that's active in your life every day, every moment of every day, just like God is. You know, we have this idea of a transcendent God. Well, we've made the gospel something that happened in the past tense, and that's it. But uh, as Matthew Bates argues in Romans chapter 8, so is glorification. It's justified, sanctified, and glorified, past tense. It's all past tense. So where's you know, where's that fit with your three modes of justification, sanctification, and glorification as future? So, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't work out. You're... you're your order of salvation doesn't fit. It, these things just don't fit with what the Bible actually says in the grammar. It doesn't follow the grammar, and that's why I like to go to Gorman in my articles. So yeah. it just doesn't fit with what the Greek is actually there got laid out. Yeah. So, and and that's that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> each one it, of it is each each one of those could be different episodes by themselves. You know, there's. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are. Everything you've rattled off over the hour plus, I mean, <laughs> that right there, you're looking at probably six to eight episodes worth of material in in that hour, you know, and what, 20-some minutes. So, <laughs> Well, that so, was the point of the paper, was to, to argue that before the academic community in Nepal in 7,000 mm. words or less, and I was given 25 minutes to present it. <laughs> and so... 
to introduce it so that the Nepal academic community would relook at saying, what do we really believe? Why do we believe it? And have we studied it out? Have we actually looked at it? Mm, you know, yeah. uh, and so, you know, to answer George's question, uh, I don't think the Christians actually know what they believe, mm. uh, which is what Gumby said, you know. Well, um, quick little follow up on that, know. if I may ask. Is this uh, Gumby or George? Uh, no, this is Gumby now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, George Gumby. I was trying to figure out which hat you had on. <laughs> uh, no, this, is, this is me. You know, uh, from, and we can debate this another time, but if, you know, because I know we have brought this up before, if we're a Christian nation or not, we've kind of gone back and forth on that. But since <laughs> India is an ally of America, right, is there any pushback from our government to help keep uh, the government to not be so corrupt or to keep them accountable? Uh, are there any things, you know, like, can you take them to the United Nations for human violations? Like any, any of that kind of stuff? Isn't there any, any other governments pushing back to stop the corruption? I'm just asking, like, aside from, you know, trying to change it with religion, is there any help from that aspect? Do you get anything um, from America, from the Christian America? Is what I'm, uh, I'm kind of asking. It was interesting with uh, uh, George, what is it, W. Bush, um, mm -hmm. when the cyclone hit and some of the things happened. Uh, it was, it was kind of interesting because George Bush's eight years in office was interesting because, oh, yeah. number one, we had the September 11th, 9-11. And so mm -hmm. the Muslims were like, in India, were just like, they were just loving it. But then when the, uh, at the same time, um, when this happened with the cyclone and everything, mm -hmm. uh, Bush was also able to say some things that greatly encouraged the Christian community and Christians. Because uh, he was calling into question, because I, when I first went in 2008, and I went down to Arissa and had that, Adisha, I had that conversation with that Muslim. At that time, Hindus uh, were uh, uh, persecuting the church, burning Catholic churches, and killing Catholic priests. Wow. And so it was a recall back to what happened uh, when Graham Stain was killed in the late 1990s. And so George Bush was able to, as president of the United States at that time, was able to speak into that. Mm. And it really encouraged the Christians. And I was able to encourage Christians under persecution and spoke at church. And then they were greatly encouraged because they were running in fear uh, at the time. And so there is a chance to do that. But for the most part, you know, they're sovereign nations. Uh, we, this would be another podcast, too, because Modi nationalism, he is, he's risen. Uh, and taken, and he's united the 80-some percent uh, Hindus under his belt. Uh, he's, he's started fights with Pakistan. He started fights with Nepal, and he's fighted, started fights with uh, China um, over land issues. Mm -hmm. And so he's using his Hinduism uh, as a bully pulpit and, and causing the rise of Hindu nationalism. Um, and so um, it's very difficult you know, he has his sovereign rights. And so they they feel like that when they tell the West, you know, they, they, they tell the West, you just stay out of our business. You know, this is our country. Um, the Chinese have argued that the Nepal needs to get rid of the West. Um, they need to, China wants Nepal like they took Tibet. That's what they want. Is what some people are arguing. I don't know. But the Chinese are, right now, there's a offer on the table by the United States to give Nepal $500 million to uh, redo the infrastructure of their electric electricity and 
and so they can have business. And so American businesses can go in and invest in businesses, but there's not proper electricity. And the Chinese have convinced many in the Nepal government to not do that, not take the American money. The Chinese have said in their news media that Nepal needs to kick the United Nations out, to kick the West out, that the, the West is over, the West is dying. Uh, forget the West. Uh, you know, this, the dollar is no longer going to be in charge. Now the yuan is going to take over, the rise of the East. So, yeah, India partners with America against China, but at the same time, um, the rise of nationalism, and even the Nepal prime minister has, has chosen the, the nationalistic view, too, also to rise against um, even India. And it's playing to China's benefit. Mm. Um, and, and the Chinese are trying to get more and more influence into Nepal and trying to, trying to bug India and trying to kick the West out of this part of the world and, and, and rule today. So um, right now, there's a huge, huge chance for the West, and they're trying. Uh, to to take Nepal and say, hey, you just had this murder of these six people, you know, and that's unjust. And, you know, you know, they're trying to say, we want to help you with the virus and we want to help you with all these things, but then you need to do something about this murder of these six people. And then, you know, China's like, oh, we'll back you up. You know, you don't need the West. Get them out of here, you know. So, and it, unfortunately, it's all over money. And so it's, it's just fine, you know, we yeah. use money to try to influence people to make better decisions. And the Chinese are trying to out, out pay the West and say, you know, the West is over with. They can't even figure out how to get out of the virus. We've already conquered the virus, you know. So, hmm. And again, I don't know how much of that is rhetoric and how much is lies and how much is fake news and propaganda, but that's kind of the, the ideologies being thrown around right now. So, Wow. Um, so that's a great, that's a great answer. <laughs> I mean, Nepal was given because of the earthquake. Nepal was given a seat on the the uh, Human Rights Commission of of the United Nations, and now that's being called into question because of of this persecution, uh, these six people dying. Uh, you know, so uh, that's that's you know, ironic. As if nobody would lose their seat because of that in the United Nations. I mean. Yeah. Every so everyone's everyone's violated that. So they they try. <laughs> You know, when you're dealing with politics, no one seems to come out. So, you know, it's, it's tough. So that's why the church wants to try to do it. But th th we're all human. We all fail. I fail. So we all fail in what we're trying to do. So, yeah. you know, mm. that's what Heiser said in the last podcast that you guys had that I heard. It was, you know, that that's what the enemy wants. He wants, they all want us to fail. Yeah. So. I agree. Yeah. So we're failing, failing, and, and they're succeeding. So. Well, I mean, I like to think that we're coming up in some places. <laughs> well, if I may be oh, evangelical yeah. here, we oh, already yeah. won. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there we go. Well, I, and I hope, I, you know, I'm an American. You know, you said, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, I was a little concerned. I'm still an American. You know? Oh, yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. But uh, um, so I, I have great hopes for my, my country and, and, and for the people there and you know, a lot of people ask me, why are you still in Nepal? Aside from the fact that God has called me here, uh, it seems to be safer here. <laughs> I don't know. Of course, Zacharias says, Ouch. stay home. Don't go outside. That's what my brother says. Don't, don't get sick. So. <laughs> awesome. Mm. Well, uh, we've been definitely enjoyed having you on. It has been an eye-opening um, extravaganza <laughs> of information and literature. <laughs> mm. 
Um, we'll have to do this again. Uh, maybe maybe go a little more in depth into specific topics because, like I said, there's a ton to unpack there. Um, we but, can get through everything that happened here. You'd have an education. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but remember, you can find more of uh, for our audience. You can find more of this information at divinecouncil.org, where both of these fine gentlemen are contributors. <laughs> Most, mostly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and please, please check us out on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and any other social media platform. We're pretty much on it. Um, please, if you can be so kind, see us at Patreon because we please. have that there. Or you can come on over to anchor.fm forward slash Bible over brews and you can also catch us there. All right. Thanks, and have a good one. All right, it's not the taboo over brew. So long. Good night, guys.